The loneliness one dare not sound and would as soon surmise, as in its grave go plumbing to ascertain the size. The loneliness whose worst alarm is lest itself should see and perish from before itself for just a scrutiny. The horror not to be surveyed, but skirted in the dark, with consciousness suspended and being under luck. I fear me this is loneliness, the maker of the soul, its caverns and its corridors, illuminate or seal. Hello and welcome to Loneliness and You, the podcast in which we hope to illuminate rather than seal the experience of loneliness and the question of whether it is indeed the maker of the soul. I'm your host, Axel Seaman. In each episode, I have a conversation with someone who has something to say about loneliness, from an academic, artistic, or indeed any other perspective. My guest today is Tamara Kayali Brown. Tamara, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? <laughs> Thank you very much, Axel. So um, I'm a senior lecturer in health ethics and professionalism at Deakin University. I um, am a philosopher. Um, I describe myself as a feminist philosopher because that sort of gives the sort of view of the world that I um, that I approach many subjects in. My research specializations uh, are, so I'm especially um, interested in ethics and philosophy of mental illness, um, particularly depression and gender and uh, reproductive ethics. So I guess that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and so let me ask you, in a nutshell, we just listened to um, a reading of a Dickinson poem about loneliness that I find very evocative. How does it strike you? Does it strike you in any particular way? Do you have any thoughts that come to mind? What happens with you when you listen to this poem? I find um, this poem seems to have... Uh, a fear running throughout it. And at the very end, she, she says like I, uh, the word fear, but the feeling that I get is that at least, especially in the first half, it's um, loneliness is something that it's like a taboo. You don't want to talk about it. It's something that you might feel, but you dare not investigate it because it's just too scary to even admit to it being there, let alone, why it's there um i feel like it's that if we investigate why we're lonely we might be afraid of what we'd find that maybe oh you know i'm lonely because there's something wrong with me but at the very end this fear sort of turns into it kind of reminds me of that saying like crisis oh, i'm not going to remember this phrase properly <laughs> um, that it's a a combination of danger and opportunity, I think maybe, that um, this, is this loneliness the maker of the soul? So is it actually if maybe if we do investigate it or kind of plough through that initial fear, is it something that actually might bring some great insight into us, about us, into who we are? That's the sort of feeling that I, the understanding that I get from this, <laughs> that if we're brave enough to plow through that cavern, we might actually discover this, some wonderful insight yeah. into ourselves. 
absolutely if if we're brave enough right but brave being brave enough you know takes a lot um i i you know absolutely hear you know also the the fear that that you're talking about the taboo something that we can't bring ourselves to look at because who knows you know what we might discover that's right absolutely let's stick to you know this this notion of sort of danger and opportunity that you've just mentioned a little bit and um i read a little bit about what you've you know written about depression and you know sort of there you have explored the possibility that um depression sort of perhaps similarly to loneliness where you know so there's also something that you know you, you it's, it's really hard to look at and it's 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 so dark and so terrible but you know it may be as you put it a catalyst for self-understanding and so do you do you think that you know loneliness and depression which in some ways you know are quite closely related um it's similar in that regard yeah yeah definitely a lot of my understanding of depression is from not just the books that I've read, but I gained a lot of insights from the people who I spoke to. So um, I did my PhD study on women's experiences of depression, and I um, investigated um, a few uh, key concepts within that, ideas around authenticity, responsibility, and control. And there were a number of women, not all, but a number of them did say that actually um, when they came out of depression and were able to investigate it, um, usually through counseling um, and through sort of looking back at their experiences, they were able to see that element that you're talking about, that actually depression became a catalyst for change. One of them even described that depression, she doesn't see it as a bad thing. She sees that when she gets depressed in her life, now she sees it as a red flag telling her that there's something not right with her life that she needs to investigate and you know it might mean that she needs to change her path or whatever she's doing so it's yeah i think you're right i think that it shares that element with the poem about loneliness dickinson's poem that you know it has this um element of darkness and fear and something to be avoided at all costs but if we're brave enough to get past that and try and learn something and introspect and investigate it, we might actually learn something really profound. And and it was surprising to me at the very last question that I usually ask my interviewees was um, if you could press a button theoretically that could get rid of your depression forever and ever, would you press it? I was amazed by the number. I would say, in fact, most of them, if not almost all of them actually said, no, I wouldn't. And that's because it gave me an understanding, new insights that I wouldn't have had otherwise into my life, or it made me a different person, or it made me more empathetic. Like it always ended up giving them something mm -hmm. that they wouldn't change. Yeah. And it, of course, also, you know, is, is then part of what makes you who you are, right? And if you took it away, then right. you'd be a different person, right? And it's very hard yeah. to imagine you know you being well you know yourself just without you know the the depression or the loneliness that that you've been through exactly right that was exactly what yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so let's let's perhaps you know before we get into loneliness um proper and how and and the relation between depression and, and loneliness which i think is, is really interesting and important and not easy to conceptualize let's perhaps stick a little bit to um your your work that you are talking about here so uh you 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 know describe 
described um, that in these interviews um, with people, women who had been through depression, what was it that was there to be discovered through the depressive episode? What did your interview partners say about that? Like, in, in what way did the depression, in the cases in which it did, actually turn out to be helpful? Like, what in what cases was it um, so, actually helpful for... Yeah, because you said that not all of <laughs> not all of your interview partners said that uh, the depression was something that was helpful yeah, in a way. Um, but in the you know so so uh, you know I'm interested now in the cases in which they did say you know your interview partners that it was useful in some way to go through the the depression because it helped if I understood correctly your interview partners to it helped them to discover something about yourself. And I'm interested in what it was that um, they discovered. Was it really different things for all of them or was there a common thread? Um, there were different things, I'd say. So some of them described depression as a catalyst for change. And by that, I think a lot of them meant change in their lives. So whether they were you know, doing a job that they didn't like and the depression made them realize that they should do something completely different, for example, um, something like that. There are some people, though, that I think saw depression more so as maybe not neither positive or negative. I remember one who said it's just kind of like a storm and you just have to weather it and be patient and wait till it goes. So it was sort of, she didn't seem to gain any insight. So that's examples of maybe two extremes, like one that feels like it's catalyst for change and another that feels that it's just something you just got to deal with i mean there were a big variety of views of it there were those who like in general one pattern that i noticed was that those who tended to feel that it was or, or who were more likely to see it as a catalyst for change tended to be those who felt that their depressions were triggered by something in their lives um, whether it be a stressful life event or a life circumstance it might have been something big or small but something that they feel in their lives triggered them to have a depression they were more likely to see it as that something that they could eventually get something positive out of or it could um, lead them uh, somewhere better or you know self-insight but those who tended to see it more as just something they need to get rid of um doesn't really do anything for me, just take the medication, just, you know, that's it. They were more likely to have not had trigger or not perceived that they had triggers for their depressive episodes. Like they couldn't make sense of it, why it just seemed to come and go out of the blue. So that was a sort of general pattern that I noticed. So it seems to kind of bring back this old categorization that used to be in the DSM way, way back of reactive versus endogenous depression. Um, and that distinction is no longer in the DSM today, but it, it was as if that's what this distinction was. Yeah. So, you know, we, we can, of course, try to draw a parallel to loneliness here. And I want to ask you, you know, whether um, you are on board with this, where you could say, well, you know, in loneliness too, you can sort of think about, to use this terminology, about a reactive versus an endogenous form where, you know, you might feel lonely because something particular has happened. You know, you 
somebody you care about is no longer available for whatever reason. But you can also think of a sort of form of loneliness that just grips you, even though it seems that nothing has happened on that front and um, you just feel lonely anyway. Right? So would you, would you be on board with that, with drawing that parallel? I think that's a really interesting parallel because I was thought that you were going to say or what I thought um, <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> was that loneliness was that loneliness could be um, could be potentially one of the triggers for depression. Oh, right. um, okay. I mean, they didn't uh, I don't recall the women expressly saying that loneliness had triggered their depression, but relationship breakdown was a big was one of the common um, triggers that some women had mentioned and you can understand that is leading to loneliness that being a major sort of lead into depression but um i think your parallel is more profound because um because uh yeah i hadn't thought of it that way but i think you could definitely make that parallel i mean there could be like you say a loneliness that has come about uh out of circumstance and it may even be circumstances that have nothing to do with you like a big pandemic for example um and you know that you're lonely but it's not your fault maybe that mitigates the feeling because you know that you know it's not because you smell or people don't like you it's just because people have to not see you and then there might be another type of loneliness where you feel like it is very personal like for whatever reason you feel like people don't value your friendship all of a sudden or you know and then it might have a different tinge to it and then there's the type of loneliness that you said, which is where it might just come about, not because your circumstances have changed, like everything in your life might look objectively the same, mm -hmm. but maybe suddenly you feel this subjective sense of loneliness and you might not even be able to pinpoint why. You might be able to pinpoint why. Maybe you've suddenly come to some realization and it makes you feel lonely. Or you might just not be able to make sense of it. It might just, because loneliness is a subjective sense. I was thinking about this before arriving to this podcast. And I was thinking, well, you know, loneliness is kind of mysterious because it's a subjective feeling, really, isn't it? It's not something objective that you can measure. Loneliness is relative, isn't it? It's relative to you. It's about your feelings. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's one of the, you know, the, the first one of the first th things that, you know, one stumbles across when one begins to think about loneliness seriously and, and you know, read up on it a little bit, that it's not reliably correlated to social isolation. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's not determined by how many social contacts you have or even what the perceived quality yeah. of these of these contacts is. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a truism that, you know, you can feel lonely in a marriage, um, but not lonely, you know, in splendid isolation in the desert or something. But even, you know, you can yeah. even feel lonely in a marriage you perceive to go well somehow. So you're right that, you know, somehow loneliness is an experience, a feeling, an emotion, depending on how you want to think about it, that in that sense is subjective. Um like you know some some of the people i've I've talked to on the podcast, and actually I myself think that loneliness is in a large sense self-directed. um it's it's sort of misleading in a way because it purports to you to to be about other people, but somehow it it tells you something about yourself, perhaps more than you know the other people and their their presence or absence. So it's really weird in that way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely think so. I um, I think I learned um for the first time how uh, loneliness is all relative during the pandemic. So I uh, knew <laughs> the topic of marriage. Uh, so that's how I learned from it. Me and my um husband are uh, polar opposites in the sense that uh, he's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. And um, we've always known this, but, you know, someone like him can take a pandemic in his stride and, you know, lockdowns, bring it on. That's great because um, it's an excuse not to have to socialize. <laughs> and um, <laughs> whereas for me, I'm like, you know, I get this feeling of FOMO, even though I know objectively that no one's going out. You're not missing out on anything. It's just silly. Um, and uh but and the way i'm uh defining introversion and extroversion here is like uh, well my understanding is that introverts don't just avoid socialization but also um feel depleted like their energy feels like really depleted after having socialized mm -hmm. whereas me as an extrovert after i go out and socialize i feel energized afterwards i feel like great that was so yay um so yeah i feel like yeah it's definitely and we were both living in the same house in the same town and you know there are circumstances were objectively um near enough the same mm -hmm. but um because of your personality it's you know loneliness like i i felt lonely just because it was relative to what i wanted or expected and was used to mm -hmm. But I also learned, like you said, you can feel lonely in a marriage and even in a happy marriage for certain reasons. I can I can see how that can happen because the other thing that I think I learned about loneliness, and again, this is not from my from my formal research, but more from my subjective <laughs> experience, is that um I think like it's how they say you can feel lonely in a crowd. Mm -hmm. That if the people who are surrounding you, if you don't feel like you relate to them or that they really get you i think it can make you actually feel even more lonely maybe than if you were just on your own yes because if you don't feel understood but you're surrounded by a lot of people i think that's much worse than having just a few friends who really get you yes that's right that's right um so when you're around i like to call them kindred spirits i think when you've got your tribe you don't feel lonely yeah that's right. So, you know, it, it, it seems that, you know, what, what loneliness has to do with is the absence of a capacity perhaps for self-expression, right? you know, sort of being who you really are with people who get you, right, with, who, yeah. with people who recognize yeah. you for, for who you are. Yeah. And, and if you don't have that, then, you know, you might feel lonely, yeah. I, I want to ask you, you know, about the research that we spoke earlier. You did this research with with women, and I, you know, we we haven't really talked on this podcast um, at at all, sort of about you know whether loneliness can be gendered, and you know we don't have to talk about it. But I nevertheless just want to ask you the question in case you've got something to say. So let's begin, you know, by by sort of thinking about or talking about your research work there a little bit more. What you heard there about those women's your interview partners depression was that do you think in some way specific to the fact that they were women would men have told you something you know completely different um do you have any views on that and then you know once i've got your answer we can sort of try to relate that to to loneliness a little bit yeah um well i sort of i interviewed women um specifically with depression for a number of reasons one of them actually being that gendered aspects of depression had actually been done to death and the only way like if i was going to have both women and men or even other genders included then i would have i would have been looking 
one of the elements would have been to have to look at the gendered aspects. Um, and since that had already been done a lot, it made sense to just focus on one gender. And evidence suggests that you tend to get more from interviewees or they feel more comfortable with an interviewee of the same gender. So me being a woman, it made sense for me to interview women. So having said that, I know in the background that the gendered experience of depression is for a number of reasons. So one of the main ones being uh, the the lot of women, I guess, sexism in uh, in this world uh, has had a lot of impacts on women uh, socioeconomically. So women can often be lumped with sort of life stresses and life events that might be different to uh, men's. So the things that they told me might well be different to what men would have described to me if I were to have um, interviewed men. So that's something. So I imagine that it would be the same for loneliness as well. Like I'm imagining that the reasons for why women might feel lonely might well be different to the reasons why men might feel lonely. Again, it being such a subjective experience and gender being something that's socially constructed that people feel like they have to conform to, that they have to live up to. And there's certain things that you are seen to have to do or that you should or shouldn't do as a man as opposed to a woman, then I can definitely imagine that the experience of loneliness would be different. For example, I think women are able to talk to each other about their feelings and their emotions and their life circumstances and stresses, like with your best friend, um, you know, and you can get emotional and you can even cry and give each other hugs. And and that's, um, you know, that's seen as okay as a woman. But I think for men, that's less so. I think men still feel like they have to live up to um, this ideal of masculinity as being emotionless and um, uh, strong and never having to cry and never showing emotion and all the rest of it, which I think if I were a man, I would, would make me feel pretty lonely mm-hmm. if I can't confide even to my best friend about what I am going through. And uh, I think that has been well established as something that leads to mental illness and even suicide. So, um, so yeah, I would say that mm-hmm. I would guess that gender plays a big part in loneliness. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So in in other work, you've also written about autonomy and, um, you know, different sort of conceptions of autonomy, um, you know, an atomistic conception of of autonomy, where, you know, this kind of freedom, you know, is purely within the confines of the self, right? You know, you write about Hobbes and Kant sort of springs to mind perhaps as well, you know, sort of giving laws unto yourself. It's just you looking at yourself. But then, yeah. you know, you, you write about a relational autonomy where a particular kind of freedom is, you know, established, achieved in relationships with others. And you can absolutely say, no, like I myself couldn't work it out sort of off the cuff, but <laughs> is, is there a relation to be, or, you know, so con- connection to be drawn between distinguishing between these kinds of, these two kinds of autonomy and feeling lonely? Yeah, I think, because I think the Hobbesian atomistic view of loneliness, oh, view, no, sort of view of the self, I mean, and, um, and its definition of, of autonomy is quite a lonely definition. Um, and it also actually seems to assume the person it, um, is lonely in a way. And that's the difference between it and relational autonomy. Relational autonomy assumes that the person isn't alone, that they do have connections with family and with friends and so forth. 
and that as a result, the decisions that they make are going to be affected by and influenced by those relationships that they have. So to me, relational autonomy is just more realistic autonomy because it takes into account what most of us are, which is relational beings. We're all connected to someone. We have parents, we have siblings, spouses, children, so on. And when we make important decisions, whether they be decisions about our health or about um, what jobs we take and so on and so forth, who of us really only thinks about our own self-interests as if we don't have relationships? I, I don't think many people do. I think, you know, when I make a decision about a career, for example, I take into account that I have a partner and children. And, you know, if I take a job in this city, then they would have to move with me. What impact is that going to have on them? So that is relational autonomy, I think, in a nutshell. And I think, I mean, to relate it back to loneliness, uh, I think that's why the atomistic view of autonomy is a lonely one and an unrealistic one. Because even if we feel lonely, lonely in the subjective feeling sense, I think when it comes down to decision-making, which is usually when we're invoking autonomy, I think people know objectively that they're usually not completely alone, or at least that their decisions impact others. So I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> sort of like in, in the objective, like in the objective sense, you know that you're not on your own in a bubble, just, you know, floating around in some vacuum. Yeah. We know that we're connected, mm. even even if we don't feel as connected as we would like to be. Mm. But we know that yeah. objectively we have connections. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, we only have one minute left. So, you know, um, th this will have to be a quick one or two minutes. <laughs> um, I suppose, you know, the, 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 the dyed in the wool, you know, a Kantian autonomist uh, or philosopher who subscribes, you know, to this Kantian view would, would say something like, yeah, you know, I might obviously take into account other people when making my decisions, but my rationality, my reasoning, like the, you know, what enables me to make these decisions, that's, you know, where the autonomy resides. And that's something that's located within, you know, sort of my own mind, like, you know, sort of I'm, I'm free in my decision making, even if it, you know, involves um, other people. So Tamara, I think that's all the time that we've got for today. That was a hugely interesting conversation. I wish we could talk more. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. My guest today was Tamara Kayali-Brown. Tamara is a senior lecturer in health ethics and professionalism in the School of Medicine at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. Her book, Depression and the Self, Meaning, Control and Authenticity, is published with Cambridge University Press. Thanks for listening to Loneliness and You, a podcast on the research and experience of loneliness. <laughs>